Listen, I know my bed felt really comfortable this morning when I had to get up. How about yours? Yeah. Man, praise God, you knew that there was something better to get ready for today. And God is so good. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 3. That's where we're going to be hanging out today. Luke 3. We'll be in verse 1 through 22. Uh, we'll jump all over Scripture uh, today as we walk through this story of Jesus is, uh, interacting with the Father here in his baptism today. Um, but we, we're just really looking at this starting picture of what it looks like to be rooted in, in Christ. And his early part of his story, um, which will end next week, kind of this first section running through the temptation, just before his quote-unquote ministry uh, begins is really key because it, it reveals to us um, a lot of who he is at his core, but also who, who he is um, in um, his standing to us, and maybe better said, who we are in the shadow of our king. And that's what we're looking at today uh, in this story. Have you ever wanted a do-over? Have you ever had, amen, yeah. Come on. You know, I, I started looking for Super Bowl do-overs to kind of start this thing off. And for all the Dallas Cowboys fan, Leon Lett, does that sound familiar? Bless his heart, right? I mean, just guy made a great play, then made a horrible play, and the Cowboys, well, they'll play another day kind of thing. And I thought, he needed a do-over. But before I picked on him, I just really thought, you know, in my life, there have been a thousand plus times I've wanted a do-over. Have you ever said something that you immediately after you said it, you thought, can I have that back? Has it ever happened? You know, have you, have you ever had a moment where it wasn't maybe even what you said, but it was how you said it? And you thought, I didn't really mean it that way. As a, as a husband and a parent, I feel like I could write, a, like if I was writing a book, it would just be on the things I want to do over with. You know, that time when I said it this way, that moment when I, I tried to do this. I mean, over and over and over again, there's so many times where I thought, I wish I had a do-over. That time that uh, Connor, you know, we talked about before, Connor, uh, my son, if you're a visitor today, he's in college now, but he always either wanted to throw the Frisbee in the front yard, the football in the front yard, or the baseball in the front yard, which sounds really awesome, but he's so much stronger than I am. <laughs> And so he wants to throw the football, like passing from me to the back wall. He's like, Dad, throw the football. I'm like, can I roll it to you, you know? Or the baseball, he always threw it really hard. I'm like, can you back, you know? And so there were times in my life where I even thought, man, I'm just tired today, buddy. Can we not do that? And looking back, I just, I wish I had a do-over, you know? I could have, like, wrapped my hand in the ace bandage and been okay. I could have bought a football flinger that you just put the ball. I could have figured it out, Right? But there's just so many times we want to do over. And, and in Scripture, that, that really has a word that's connected to it that's a lot heavier to it, a lot weightier. And the word is repent or repentance. And that's what we're really going to look at is what repentance looks like when it's rooted in Jesus Christ. And if you look on the Internet, because it's the source of all wisdom and knowledge, of course, not, right? If you're visiting with the day, that isn't. There is a source of wisdom and knowledge that Google is not it. Um, this is what it gave sort of some definitions of the word um, repent. Uh, an attempt to make restitution for wrong done. I love that. That sounds uber like defeating, like it's your best shot, sucker. You know, just an attempt. Um, another one was um, in some way to reverse the harmful effects of your wrong. 
right? In other words, in some way for you to like, how do I fix that? Have you ever tried to fix a wrong and made a triple wrong on accident? Talk to me about plumbing issues later. We'll get there. Um, another one was it's admitting guilt and others, uh, and others it's promising not to do it again. So, so some say, one was it's admitting guilt, another was promising not to do it again. And, and scripture is really, really full of all of these definitions of repentance. I mean, you can find it all over the place. I mean, if you're not sure, I just encourage you, start in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and read through the end of 2 Samuel chapter, at the end of it, right? Like, you will see all of like God's perfect chosen kings as they get out, like repenting and then stumbling over their own what I call faith feet over and over again. Um, but you may not need to look at scripture. You can kind of look in the mirror for that. What we're going to talk today is what does repentance look like rooted in Christ and why does being rooted in Christ make such a difference? How much different is that than any other kind of do-over or repentance uh, as we walk through that? So let's just get into word today. Let's start off reading the first nine verses of chapter three in Luke, okay? So chapter three of Luke, verse one through nine, then we'll pull it apart uh, together. In the 15th year in the region of Tiberius uh, Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip the tetrarch in the region of uh, Eteria and Trunc, excuse me, and Trunc, I practiced this, Trachonitis, I'm going to go with that, and Licinius, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Right there is the reason no one wants to read when someone says, who wants to read in Bible study? Right? Like I, we're on the same page. Let's go further. Verse three. And he went up into the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as it is written in the book of the words of, the of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and every hill will be made low. The crooked shall become straight, the rough places shall become level ways, and the flesh shall see the salvation of God. And, and he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized for him, you brood of vipers who warned you to, th to flee from the wrath to come bear fruits in keeping with repentance do not begin to say to yourselves we have abraham as our father for i tell you god is able from these stones to raise up abraham, uh, children for abraham even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees therefore every tree that uh, therefore does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire and now let me just stop here and tell you where we're going with this in all these verses we'll read today there's really a few groups of people and right now we've run into the first group that first group of people we'll see is john he's what i would call the narrator of the story right he's the one that will interact with everybody throughout um, this passage uh, and if you're new to church um, this is a historical record right so we're not uh, we're not just reading fairy tales with with you know good meetings at the end of it and so john is baptizing people he comes from great family his dad was a priest and a minister his his mom was highly respected he was a miracle birth as as his own his mom in late age had him and so he's baptizing people and and anytime there's a movement going on 
there's two groups of people in the Roman Empire want to know about it. One, the government, right? Believe it or not, our government's not the only one that cares what you're doing, right? And the Roman government cared what was going on. And the other group was the Jewish leadership. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who only got along when they disliked someone else more than they disliked each other in that moment. That's the only reason they ever worked together. Uh, and so this, they, they come together, and we first see this people in the crowd. Matthew chapter 3, um, verse 7, I believe tells us that the people that John speaks to specifically in the middle of the crowds at this point are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he's just talked about, hey, prepare for the way of the Lord. Like the, the Messiah is coming. The news he is saying is so good. And he's calling people to a baptism and to repentance. But very quickly, he looks at these Pharisees and he says, why are you here? Like, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And don't you dare say, we don't have to flee wrath. Abraham's our father. See, something really potent happens here that you and I need to understand as a truth, right? A repentance that is rooted in yourself is a waste of time repentance that is just rooted in you right you're going to repent you're going to turn the corner you're going to do something different because it pleases you it gives you a better view on life it makes you a better person it gives you a better angle it's a way you mature a, a repentance that's rooted in you it's just literally a waste of time in fact i would encourage you don't waste your energy on doing something like that the pharisees in this moment they're here and they're saying well listen we want to check out what repentance looks like we want to enlighten ourselves. we just want to be better and john says here's your problem there's two things that you are basing your self in this idea of being repentant or turning your back on yourself and looking towards god and the first one is this wrath to come. And he says, this wrath to come that you're fleeing, that you're going to try and bake on, is your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds. And you measure your good deeds by the law in the Old Testament. And the problem with that, John would point out, is this, is that when you and I try repentance based on how you and I can tip the scales according to God's law, at the end of the day, what we find out is it's not about our good deeds outweighing our bad deeds. The law that we are trying to fulfill and tip the scales so that we become a right person with God, good versus bad, isn't a scale at a law it's a line and once you've crossed it you've crossed it it doesn't matter how you crossed it it doesn't matter how often you've crossed it when you have crossed the line you've crossed the line isn't that right ladies right come on right and, and what John says is if you're repenting and you're trying to live your life balancing the scales with God, then you misunderstood it's not a scale at all. But, but if you're trying to learn about the baptism of repentance and, and you don't really need what I'm talking about because you're a child of Abraham. See, what, what the Jews were saying, especially these Sadducees and Pharisees would say is, we're the chosen people. 
And so since we're the chosen people, in the end, God has our back. He's going to take care of us. He's going to provide for us. In other words, they acted as if there's an inherited protection. And we get that, don't we? Right? I can't tell you how many times I've, I will hear someone with a wonderfully meaning heart saying, I've always been a Christian since I was a baby. It's like, y'all, that's like saying I've been a good husband since I was a baby. It, it's technically impossible. I mean, if you're marrying off your baby, that's illegal. Right? It's, te- it's, it's, it's technically impossible. Because being a Christian revolves, involves repentance. And no one can repent for you. And so if you and I bank on this inherited protection that in the end we'll be right with God, then we have a problem. And, and the reality is the world doesn't like that idea because what the world would say is this, that, that if you will just make peace with yourself, if you'll just be at peace with who you are, that, that's the way to repentance. Because you can't repent if you're not at peace. So you have to get right with you first. See, the, the reality is, is this idea of thinking that the Pharisees and Sadducees have that you and I will be bombarded with often is, is that repentance is best rooted in yourself because when you're at peace, then you can be at peace. The problem is that's, that's not rooted in Christ. That's rooted in you and me. And here's the problem with with just that technically. And scripture will scream it at you, but I bet you the person in the mirror will scream it just as much. You are unreliable, amen? Come on, if you're unreliable in this room, a little testimony time, would you just raise your hand? Yeah, that's awesome. Everybody else is asleep. That's fine, we'll get there, right? If you are what you're rooted in for repentance, what may be peaceful for you today will not be peaceful tomorrow. Have you ever had that moment? Have you ever had like that job that you just wanted your whole life and that day one you got it, you're like, this is it. And then like day three, you're like, this is not it. The job didn't change, y'all. You're unreliable. You're broken. And so if repentance is based on being anchored in you, just be ready for you to be unreliable. Therefore, your repentance not to be effective. You follow that? And if you're unreliable, then it is ineffective. And if, if it is ineffective, at best, you solved half the equation. It's like walking up to the board and your teacher saying two plus two equals four, and you just erase the two and smile and walk back to your seat. Just because you know part of the equation doesn't mean it's been effective. Listen to what scripture says. We'll go into this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 14 through 16 and 27, verse 3 through 5. I want you to look in on the story of Judas for just a second. We don't look at Judas too often, but here is a guy whose repentance was really rooted in himself and who he thought Jesus should be, how he thought the kingdom should come. And I want you to read how this unstable ineffectiveness happens. Matthew chapter 26, verse 14 through 16. Then then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I would deliver him over to you? They're talking about Jesus. And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment on, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now let's jump forward to 27, verse three. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. 
He brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief piece saying, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. And they, the people who invited him to sin said, what is that to us? You see to it yourself. Throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. See, Judas discovered the instability of repentance that is rooted in yourself. Did Judas know what he did was wrong? A hundred percent. Matthew 27 records it. It records it. But his repentance was him trying to fix a wrong. He changed his mind. And it didn't yield any fruit. See, the warning that John gives the, the Pharisees is to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He says, if you want to learn about repentance, if you want to know if you're on the right track, then bear fruit. In keeping is the word, modern word, alignment. In other words, you'll know real repentance because it produces life. Later on in scripture, you'll read, you know a tree by its fruit. See, if you're wondering, is my repentance rooted in me? Look at the fruit it's producing. Is it rotten? Is it burying you? Is it inconsistent? Is it ineffective? Is it unstable? One day you're loving life, the next day you're down on yourself all over again for the same thing. If, if that's the case, the fruit of the Lord that is lacking and diminished is testifying to you. You're rooted in the wrong thing. Verse 10, let's read down now to verse 14. The Bible says it this way. And the crowds asked him, they're talking to John, what shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics will share with him who has none. Whoever has food would do likewise. Well, then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said, then what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Well, then the soldiers came and said, what shall we do? And he said to them, don't extort money from, from anyone by, by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. I mean, I just pictured that moment. Like, could you imagine you're in the crowd and here's like the Pharisees and they're the people everybody respect. And Jesus just called them a brood of vipers and just slammed them. I, mean, I think I'd have been like, bro, how do I not get connected with them? Like, what do I need to do? How do I fix this? Because what they said, you said to them, I don't want them to say to me. There's a stirring that's going on in these people and they want to figure it out because they don't want to be looped in with him. And the problem is the questions that they ask are so close to the truth, it's deceiving. And the difference between a good question and the right question looks small, but the chasm is deep. Because the question that they ask is, what shall we do then? The right question is, what is that fruit? What is the fruit in keeping with repentance? How, how will we know when the one you've just talked about make straight the paths, prepare the way for the Lord? How will we know that what we are producing when we repent is rooted in the right place. That's the right question 
They ask a good question, but it's still grounded in whom? Me. What shall we do? What shall we do? What shall, three times in a row. It's, it, God does not want you to miss that this question was asked, asked, and asked. And John is not condescending, but the way he answers the question, it just shows that God is so good. He says to them very clearly, hey, listen, what do we do? Verse uh, uh, 11, if you have two tunics, share with the one who has none, right? First of all, he says, if you have, then be generous, not selfish, right? If you have, be generous, not selfish. Well, then the tax collectors come along and they say, what shall we do? Now, this should be an easy one, right? He doesn't say, do your job, right? He says, collect no more than you're authorized to do in other words you're you've been given a position of accountability so be faithful don't be selfish right if you have give don't be selfish be generous if you have accountability then be faithful don't be selfish let's go a little bit further the soldier said verse 14 what shall we do and he says, don't extort money from, I mean, this is y'all, this is low hanging fruit. Don't extort money from anyone by threats, false accusations, and be content with your wages. That, that felt like a no brainer, right? When the bully comes in the room and he has his fist pumps and says, what do I need to do to be right? Like, don't swing. It's easy. But what, what John says is this, you have authority. Don't abuse it for selfish purposes. So he answers their question, but, but he he tells them, don't let it be rooted in who? You. I, I love when Jesus, when he, when he runs into the Pharisees and, and, and later on he says, you tithe of mint and dill and the smallest things. And I love it because he says, and you should. But you actually neglect the bigger things. See, when you and I try to practice repentance or self-writing that's rooted in good intentions, at best, it's preparatory. At best, it's preparatory. But it won't be permanent. At best, it, it's just going to prepare you for what can come. But your repentance is still rooted in you if your actions aren't rooted in response to someone or something else. Because that's where the worldview would just say, you can make it right. You can fix this. Your actions can influence good. You can do this. So the first one the world would say, just make peace with yourself. As long as you feel confident in your salvation, you run with it. John's like, don't do that. But here, the world says, hey, you just be a good person. You do all you can to make it right. You just, you be that peacekeeper. You be quick to do these things. And the enemy doesn't mind if you stop an inch short of Jesus or a mile short of Jesus. That's unimportant as long as you what? Stop short of Jesus. See, in the middle of all of this, 
We have to ask, Lord, who are you going to elevate? Matthew chapter 16, hopefully you've been reading along with us in our study. Verse 24 and 25 says it like this. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life must lose it. And whoever will lose it for my sake will find it. Man. Church, are you trying to repent based on your ability to fix stuff? Guys, we are wretched at this. Amen? And we love trying to fix it. We, we love trying to get it right, pull it together, hold it together. I messed this up. I got us into this. I'll get us out. I mean, your heart isn't completely for you, but really your selfishness shows because you're really trying to fix it with the people that you care about. The anchor's still in the wrong place. Jesus says you've got to let go of that You've got to let go of your dreams, let go of your power, and give it to me. John came into this with his disciples a little bit later on. The book of John, the disciple John, not John the Baptist, wrote about it. John's disciples come over and they say, Hey, John, Jesus' disciples, like, they're baptizing all the people. Modern day, they'd be like, man, all the people are going to that church. You know, that kind of thing. And John says, yo, I must decrease he must increase see in the midst of all of this we have to re re recall what john leads us to in his words to his own disciples later on in the game it so supports his direction here it's not about self and so repentance it can't be about you feeling better and it can't be about you being the hero I started thinking about this and I started scribbling matter. I, I listened in junior high and high school a little bit in my science classes. And, and I thought of it like this way. Repentance is, is like matter. Um, if something's changed since my 2023 National Geographic article I read, right? You can correct me after church. But matter can change forms. It can be altered but it can't be destroyed. It's only dispersed at best. If you repent with good intentions, what you repent of and what you cling to has to be attached to something else. Because you and I don't have the ability to right the wrongs. We don't have the ability to offer sin. And so what you have done must be rooted somewhere and if it's only rooted in you your good intentions may make space in your life for a while but it will come back to you and it will waste your effort it's like jesus telling the story of the guy with the demons a demon left the man he cleaned his house up preparatory repentance but he didn't fill his house with something else so what happened what went out came back in tenfold and he was worse than he was at the beginning my question with you is when you think God I need to repent and turn my back on my sin what are you anchoring to that's not you and it's not another broken unreliable person 
John want, wants us to ask that question. And about this time, we see that the people ask one more question and Jesus come on the scene, verse 15 and following. Get in your Bible here with me. We'll read all the way down through verse 20. The Bible says it this way. As the people were in expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. And John answered them saying, y'all, I baptize you with water, but he who is, he who, who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the fleshing floor, uh, to, gather, to gather the wheat in his barn. Uh, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many and other exhortation, he preached the good news to the people. And then we get this aside. But Herodias, Herod the Tetrarch had been reproved um, by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things he had done added this to them, and he locked John up in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened. And I just want to pause right there. See, there, there are moments that I love in Scripture, and, and this is one of two where I, I laughed out loud reading it again. When the, when the people say, man, what John is saying, it's so different. It's not rooted in the law. It's not rooted in my heritage. It's not rooted in who I am and my ability to hold all things together. Repentance has to be rooted outside of me. And I love it. They said, should it be rooted in you, John? Are you the Christ? I bet he was like, shut your mouth, right? Like, God's listening. No. If you look in the book of Revelation, John, the disciple, not the Baptist, he's seeing this vision, and this angel shows him all this glorious stuff. And the Bible says that John fell down and worshiped him. And the angel says, get yourself up. I'm not him, bro. I'm an angel. Like, if your attempt to bring hope to someone ends in the worship of you, run. John says, no. I'm not, I'm not your hero. You're not your hero, and they're not your hero. He says, I baptize you with water. I'm just, this is a symbol. The one who you should root your life in when you repent and turn towards. He's mightier than I am. If you ever have a chance when your child wants you to be their hero, what would happen if you didn't need a do-over and you said, the one who can really help us the most is Jesus, because he's mightier than I am. What change would that make in their life? When your wife is struggling, when your husband is weary what if instead of letting them come and say can I find my hope in you so that you can say I'm a good Christian what if you were to say I'm not even fit to tie the shoes of the one who's truly able to restore what has been broken you see church 
a repentance that is rooted in Jesus by faith. It is life-changing and never-ending. Just ask King David in the Old Testament. He slept with another man's wife, set up a plan to have him meet his end. And when he was convicted of it, he repented and rooted that in God. And God disciplined him. But in that repentance was a life-changing turn for David and for the whole kingdom. Ask Peter. Peter at Jesus' lowest worldly moment. He's being arrested and captured. He needs a friend. Peter says, I don't even know that guy. I don't, I don't have anything to do with him. And he curses. He sees Jesus on the shore after the resurrection. He swims to the shore fully clothed. In repentance through faith, his life has changed. And history changed with him. When you stumble over your own faith feet, don't try and pick yourself up. Embrace the hand of the one who can help you stand. And when your repentance is rooted in Christ, you'll have victory in him. Reading a book with a friend, and one of the traps this book talks about is trying to live in victory. Y'all, if the battle belongs to the Lord, who does the victory belong to? The Lord. But if you and I live in obedience in the shadow of our King, then all you'll ever know is victory. For some reason, because he chose to. He shares it with you. The Bible says, if you look down to verse 22, the heavens opened up and the Lord gives his approval of Jesus, of this moment, what's going on. It's almost as if like the heavens did not open up when it was about self-improvement, law, and heritage. The heavens did not open up when it was half of the equation. When John said, be a better person, don't be selfish. You got to figure out where you're rooted. But the heavens did open up when Jesus fulfilled and pleased his father. Where has your repentance been rooted? Did you come to church today because you just want to be a better person, a better father, a better husband, a better wife, a better student, a better child? Maybe that's half the equation at best, but if you leave thinking that, I promise you where you'll end up will be worse than where you started. The Lord lets you be here so you can hear the truth. Root your repentance in Christ. Turn your back on sin, not towards another fix that you want to attempt, but towards Jesus. And your life will never be the same. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this day. What an awesome thing it is to hear the truth of Scripture come alive to us, God. 
Lord, I pray in this room right now, Father, that you would protect our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Lord, that, that we wouldn't repent just to have a peaceful existence. That we wouldn't find repentance just to be good people and community members and citizens. But that we would find repentance that changes us for all eternity, that's never ending, that doesn't stop. Because it's rooted in faith in the Son of God. Whom the heavens opened up and said, this is him. My pleasure rests with him. So God, if there's anyone in this room battling that feeling today, God, would you just call them to yourself? And if there's a man or woman, boy and girl in this place who has never repented of their sin and turned their shoulders to face the King, the Forgiver, the Lord, Creator, God, would this moment be the moment where they pick their eyes up to the heaven and says, this is where my help comes from. Would you let their heart confess your spot? In Jesus' name.